noticed that uh, felt like people were singing out a little bit more this morning. Did anybody else feel that way? I kind of thought, I was wondering, I was like, is it because the Astros have been playing so well? Is, oh, is it because the Texans are winning? Or is it because of the weather? And that's my guess. I think that, I think God is on his throne when it's 100 degrees. I do. But I just think it's easier to worship him when it's 70 degrees outside. You're just, you just feel more at ease, you know. You're not as concerned to raise your hands, you know, about how steamy it might be in the room. You know what I'm saying? It just felt like people were more into it. And I just think this is the weather of heaven. This is like what it's going to be like in heaven. Um, if you are new to Faith Bridge, hello to you. So glad that you're here. Welcome. My name's Clay, by the way, and I get to come and preach here about once a month or so. It is wonderful. Last time I was here, incredibly sticky. I come today and I'm like, it's wonderful. This is lovely. Like, this is just absolutely perfect. Um, our family's on, uh, our kids have fall break right now. Is that a thing here? Is, there, is anybody else like, where, when did we start doing this? When we were kids, we didn't just take vacation whenever we wanted to, right? It just was like school was in session. You were just in school, you know, and it was uphill both ways, in the snow, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, our kids are on fall break, and so we decided to come and uh, visit uh, my in-laws, my wife's family. They're in Tyler. And so we flew into Dallas on Wednesday night after school was over, and uh, the storms were rolling in. Full ground stop at DFW. And so massive delays. We didn't get into like 3 a.m. And we had this huge debate as a family. We felt like we were bringing the cool weather because we knew storms are coming, but it's bringing cool weather. Is the three-hour delay worth it? How many of you were like, I would take a three-hour delay for this kind of weather? I would too. I would too. We're all, we're the same people. The rest are just, you know, grumpy or whatever. I don't know. I'm kidding. Um, we, um, we went to the, the A&M game yesterday. My wife is an A&M graduate, and so we uh, went there and experienced College Station. My first time to a football game there. That was absolutely stellar. Uh, wonderful, wonderful weekend. But I say all that to say, today we're going to talk about storms. And so that's why we were talking, the storm rolling in, weather changing. That was my loose tie-in to get into the message today, okay? I'm up here doing my best, people, all right? I'm up here doing my best. That was a real struggle. We, we are going to talk about the storms of life. And if you have a Bible, we're in Acts 27. Um, we have ushers that are going to come and pass the Bibles out. If you need a Bible, you didn't bring one, and uh, you can just use one, leave it in your seat, or you can just take it with you. It'll be our gift to you. But we're going to be in Acts 27 where we're going to talk about, I do need to make this distinction. We're going to talk about a literal storm that happened in the life of Paul. But we're going to apply it to the figurative storms in our life. And I feel like that has become more challenging for us to experience those two words. Our oldest two kids, 14-year-old, 12-year-old, are here with us today. And it's my one quibble that I have with their generation. Love their generation. Love the new language they've brought. Love the... The video gaming and the TikTok, I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, I'm trying to learn, trying to understand, not be like a grumpy old person. But the one quibble I have with them is over the word literal. Because there was a day where literal meant actual. Now it means anything they want it to mean. In fact, they use literally when they actually mean figuratively. For instance, I talked to a lady earlier today who's a middle school teacher. She was like, it's all, it's, it's all the time. She's like, it's driving me crazy. I'm like, I get it. I'm on your side here, all right? They'll say things like, they'll say, my teacher at school is killing me. 
literally. <laughs> and I, as a caring parent, am like, oh no, should we report this? Does the administration know? Tell me more about what's happening. And they'll say, oh, he's just assigning so much homework, I'm dying, literally. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, see, you're using the word literally, and it's not meaning what you think it's meaning. You're actually speaking figuratively because your teacher's not killing you. You feel like you're figuratively dying. You're also not dying. I mean, we are, in a sense, all dying, but you're not dying because of the homework. You know what I'm saying? Today we're going to talk, I, I needed to make that clarification because we're going to talk about a literal storm, but we're going to apply it figuratively, right? And you all are so, at Faith Bridge, and if you're new here, you're surrounded by some of the smartest, most intelligent, good-looking, wonderful people in Houston. And so they're going to get this real easy, just picking things up real, real quick. But go ahead, if you would, and let's turn to Acts 27, and let's read about this literal storm. And then we're going to try to answer this question to take a, a bit of a more serious turn. This is the question we're going to try to answer. Why, why does God do it? Why, why does God allow us to go through, not the literal storms, but why, why does he allow us to go through the, the storms of life, right? And, and, and I know everybody knows what I'm talking about because you have storms in your life. Maybe you've been through one. Maybe you're, God forbid, you're in the middle of one right now. Maybe you even look at the horizon. You kind of feel like it's like the, the barometer is not where exactly you want it to be. And you kind of feel like a storm is on the way, right? Maybe it's some kind of relational tension that you feel like has been brewing for a while. Or maybe it's some kind of financial concern that you have about the future. Maybe it's aging parents. Maybe it's a situation with one of your kids. And you feel like it's a storm. Storms really are, unfortunately, they're such a great metaphor for what we go through in life, right? Feels like we're out of control. Feels like something is happening to us. Feels like there's all kinds of concern about what has happened, what is happening, what could happen, right? And so what I want us to talk about today is I want to see if God might just let us learn from Acts 27. It's some of the ways that Paul specifically stays anchored in his faith despite this really disastrous storm that he's going through. Travel, is, travel has never been easy. For humanity, but it was certainly much more difficult then. And the storm that they bump into as he's traveling with his companions, not an easy situation. And so our hope is that God might just show us something, open our eyes to something, encourage us with something, inspire us with something, and ultimately give us some, some handles that we can anchor ourselves to as we allow him to grow our faith as we allow him to grow our trust in the middle of what feels like life's storms. So here we go, Acts 27, verse 13. We'll pick up there. Luke writes, when a gentle south wind, I love that he starts that way, it was a gentle south wind. That's the way storms often start, right? It was just a gentle wind began to blow. They saw their opportunity, and so they thought this is our moment. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete, and before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster 
swept down from the island and the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. And so we just gave way to it. It's almost as if we just threw our hands up in the air. We didn't know what else to do and we were driven along. And as we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard And they passed ropes under the ship itself to try to hold it together. They're doing anything they can do to try to remain secure, right? Anything they can do to try to stay bolstered in place. Because the storm wants to knock you off course. The storm wants to destabilize you. It's part of the danger and it's part of the uneasiness of the storm is that our feet are not on solid ground. It feels like everything beneath us, everything around us is shaking, And because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis, they lowered the sea anchor and they let the ship just be driven along. So now they're just trying to make it. They're not going anywhere. They've got no plan other than survival. Verse 18, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. Think about how bad that would have to be, right? I mean, we, we all love our stuff, right? I mean, we all love our stuff that we own and stuff that we have. I'm not saying that we're all hoarders, you know. There's some that are here that are, but and we're not going to call them out. But we all love our stuff. And the thought of getting to the point where you're like, hey, it's either we live or we get rid of our stuff. I mean, that's got to be pretty bad to get there. Who knows, like, what was in the cargo. But I'm sure if somebody was like, "Uh, I would rather not. I mean, there's some pretty special stuff in there, some precious stuff to me. Maybe even there was some food in there. Maybe even there was stuff that people had been saving, keeping, trying to get to where they were going. But they got to the point where it was either life, it was either live or throw this stuff overboard. And so they did just that. Verse 19, on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. So now they have no means to even find food with their own hands. Verse 20, neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging. Look at this line. And we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Just imagine, right? I mean, imagine how desperate they felt. They got to the point where many people have gotten. Because of the storm of life, they had gotten to the point where they go, there's no hope. We have no hope. There's no hope of us being saved. There's no hope of salvaging this. There's no hope of dreaming our dreams anymore. It's all for naught. It's all over with. In the middle of all this, in the middle of a situation like this, you need friends, right? You need companions. Really, this is the beauty of the church. There's a lot of wonderful things about church, but for those of you that maybe are new to church, or maybe you're coming back to church, or you're trying to find a church, or trying to figure out if you want to find a church, maybe you've been burnt by a church, who knows? But one of the beauties of church is the body of Christ rallying together in the middle of someone's storm, right? And some of you have this story to tell. Maybe you had an actual storm in your life or maybe you had a figurative storm in your life where things were disrupted, life came undone and the people around you are really the only way you got through. They put a meal train together, they took care of your kids, they raised money to pay for bills and and to be able to put back what was lost. It's the beauty of people like that, right? Because in the middle of the storm, when you feel like all hope is lost and there is no hope for a future, We have to have people in our lives that have the emotional perseverance that we may lack, right? The emotional agility 
to be able to dream dreams again, to be able to find hope again, to be able to realize that there's still more to come, even though it feels like we've lost so much. But they had gotten to the point where they said, hey, all hope is lost. But then this is where the Apostle Paul steps in. And there's so much to be learned from him. I mean, such a remarkable figure, such a remarkable person. If you know nothing about Paul, but you've been tracking with us through the book of Acts, then you probably have learned way more about Paul than you ever thought you would because Paul shows up time and time again in the book of Acts. In fact, about chapter nine, when he comes on the scene and has his radical conversion, we start to learn about where he came from and what God was going to do in his future. And then we see so much about his life and just such a remarkable person. Such remarkable strength. And you see it in this speech that he's going to give. Look at what he says. This is in verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, so now they're hungry, right? Or hangry, angry and hungry, the worst kind of hunger. Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Now, let me just first say, not a great line to open with, right? I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure his speechwriter was probably like, Paul, not the way to endear yourself to this audience. Like, start with something more encouraging. Like, I want to tell you, remarkable endurance that you've been showing. What wonderful strength. He's like, hey, I told you so. That was his opening line. You know, he's like in the car, in the, in the, in the, in the bottom of the boat, rehearsing it, going over and over again. Like, is this what I, you know, how's this? Like, uh, hey, remember when I said, don't do it? Should have listened to me, Right? Well, not, not, um, not great. It gets better from there, though, okay? He says, then you would have spared yourselves this damage and this loss, verse 22. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the Lord, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now, this is a little different than the situation that you and I bump into in life, right? Because we don't have that kind of assurance We don't have the kind of assurance that the Apostle Paul had where an angel had appeared to him and said, hey, everyone will live. Wouldn't it be nice if we had that kind of assurance? But nonetheless, even when Paul didn't have that kind of assurance, he still had that kind of confidence because his confidence was not in their ability to save themselves. It was in God's ability to save. His confidence was in the one who made him. The one who he believed held the whole world in his hand. The one who he believed was all sovereign and all knowing and all powerful. Paul had all of his confidence in him. But we see this interesting paradox that we'll develop a little bit in a few minutes. Where he still says, yes, God is going to save, but we must do what we need to do. That doesn't absolve us of responsibility. We still have to act. We still have to respond. We still have to be as faithful as we can be. But he says, nonetheless, God is the one who's going to save. And that same confidence that he had is the kind of confidence that we can have even when we're in the middle of a storm. Verse 27, on the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. 
On the 14th night, this was lasting a long time when we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took, they took soundings and found the water was 120 feet deep. That's bad news. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. So fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down the sea. Now Paul knows, I can't have you escape the ship because God has already said, if you stay with me, you'll live. But you don't believe me. And so Paul's going to make this little interesting maneuver to make sure they get back on the boat, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. But then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. And so the soldiers cut the ropes and held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Paul's going, hey, we, we, we got to burn the ships here. We got to cut the cords. We got to cut the ties. We got we to cut the ropes because unless you all stay with me, we're not going to experience this promise that God has given us again. It's this interesting paradox that we have, which is one of the things I want to talk about. I really want to ask this question. What, what does this interaction with Paul, what, what does this situation with Paul teach us about how we should trust God during storms? It, it would be a shame if we read this passage, if we took the time to be here together, and then we walked out of here without feeling inspired or feeling encouraged or feeling a sense of hope about what God might want to teach us or how God might want to use it. And so I want to talk about what is the purpose of a storm? What does God ultimately want to do in the middle of a storm? And what do we do with this unique paradox that we see in the middle of storms? Here's the first big idea. There is a great paradox. The great paradox of storms is that God is in charge, and yet what I do matters. What you do, it matters. Let me, let me explain this. Paul deeply believed God is in charge. God has promised. God is going to save. We might not have that same assurance, but we can have that same confidence and we can have that same faith that even in the middle of the storm, God is in charge. God is sovereign. And whether he causes it or whether he allows it, we can believe that God, if we're going to be saved, it's going to be because you have saved us. But what that doesn't allow us to do is just to throw our hands up and go, well, then we're not going to do anything. We're just going to sit back and just let God do his thing, right? No, there's a time when we've got to make a move. There's a time when we've got to take the next step, when we've got to see what is in front of us, and we have to be responsible for what God has put under our responsibility. Just because he already has the victory and he's the one that we're trusting to do the saving doesn't mean that we don't have any sense of responsibility. Here's the way the uh, Solomon Here's the way Solomon said it. One of my favorite little Proverbs, Proverbs 21, 31, reads like this. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory is the Lord's. The horse is prepared for the day of battle. Or another translation says it this way. Prepare the horse for battle. Get ready. Get prepared. Be faithful. Be responsible. Make your next move. Do the right thing. But the victory is the Lord's. Yes, God is the one that is going to give us the victory. See, either side 
I think is unhealthy. It's unhealthy to live with this, well, if God's gonna do it, God's gonna do it. And so we're just gonna sit back and do nothing, right? That's kind of that old joke that you used to hear preachers tell about the storm, right? A truck comes by and says, hey, you guys wanna get out of here? The storm's coming. It's like, no, 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 we're gonna wait on God to save us. Okay, the waters start rising, right? They get up, up top a little higher on the deck. Storm's rising, you, uh, boat comes by, you want to ride? No, 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 we're waiting on God to save us. Uh, uh, on top of the roof now, water's rising. Helicopter comes by, you, you, you want saving now? No, 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 we're waiting on God to save us. They eventually drown and die. In heaven, God asked them, what were you doing? He's like, we were trusting you, God, and you let us down. He's like, let you down. I sent you a truck, a boat, and helicopter. What else did you want, right? It's that same idea. It's like, hey, God, yes, we believe you. We trust you. We are exalted, and we are, our hope is in you. But we're still responsible. There is still actions we have to take, right? I mean, but at the same time, what a horrible place to live if you only believe this. That it's all dependent upon me? That it's all dependent upon you? We, we, our shoulders aren't strong enough to bear the weight of that pressure. That if you don't do the right thing, you're sunk? That unless you make the right moves, it's not going to work out? No, thank you. We love being self-determined. And there is a sense in which we do have responsibility to be faithful and to be responsible. But I'm telling you, I need this paradox. I need the paradox that says, I've got to do everything I can do to prepare the horse for battle. But ultimately, my trust is in the only one I know that can save. And I hope that you can see the joy and see the delight and see the good in that paradox as well. Number two. Patient endurance of storms, patient endurance of storms is what allows us to gain possession of our souls. Let, let, let me explain this. Patient endurance. Two words that our culture hates, right? I mean, we are the society that burns our mouth on hot pockets. Have you ever thought about the absurdity of this? It takes like a minute to heat this thing up and we can't even wait for it to cool down before we burn our mouth on this flaming hot lava that comes out of this thing. Pop-tarts, three seconds to heat them up. I mean, we are, a, we are a culture, a society that is fixated on instant, on now, on how fast can we do it, how quick can it happen. I prayed about it today, God didn't move tomorrow, to, on the next day and so I abandoned my faith. What? No, see, we, there is this patient endurance that storms really do require. But, but the, the great of it, the good of it, the, the joy of it, the benefit of it is that if we, as we patiently endure, one of the things that God does is he allows us to get our soul back. You, you know that any time you're hoping in something else, whether it's I'm hoping in another person. I've put all my hope in my job. I've put all my hope in my 401k. I've put all my hope in my finances. I've put all my hope in this relationship. I've put all my hope in whatever the pleasure is or the power is or the joy is. Whenever we put our hope in something else, that thing, that person, that ideal has our soul, is in possession of us. If there is something that determines whether or not you have worth, whether or not you can find joy, whether or not you are going to make it, then that thing has you. It has possession of you. And one of the beauties of storms is 
The storm has a way of ripping all those things away. Some of you know this, right? This is what happened to the greatest generation is they went through so much tragedy is they realized, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't put my hope in that. I, I had a, a remarkable grandmother who lived to be 99 and she lived through the Great Depression. Her stuff did not own her. It didn't own her. If we broke something in her house, I mean, she just, she would say, oh, darling, there's nothing in this house you can't break. If it's important to, we can just either get another one or we didn't really even need it. And I remember as a kid thinking, like, that is so freeing, right? It did not own her. It did not own her because she knew what it was like to live without it. It's one of the beauties and one of the difficulties of storms. But if we will patiently endure, God will allow us to get our soul back. That our soul is best when it's trusting in him. Our soul is best when our hope is in him. Our soul is best when we ultimately give our soul to him. There's this line from St. Augustine. who He says this, but in a little bit different words. Check this out. St. Augustine said, only love of the immutable will bring tranquility. Only love of the immutable, the unchanging, will bring us peace, contentment, joy. That if I love anything else that can change, anything else that can't handle my love, anything else that can't hold up under the weight of a storm, the beauty of patiently enduring storms is that it reminds me of where I'm safest, where I'm best, where I can find the most peace. And it's in him, and it's when he has me. N number three, the, the, the most powerful outcome of a storm is a heart that trusts God more deeply. The most powerful outcome of any kind of storm is when you and I are able to trust him more. And that would be my prayer for you. That would be my hope for you. I, I would imagine we would be shocked if we passed the microphone around the room and said, hey, share your story about what's the hardest thing about the last season. I bet we would be shocked at the amount of people that are in the middle of something right now, people that you're sitting around. And what I would hope for you is, one, for you to just know that we are so sorry and we're with you. But I would also hope that you would be able to get to a place where you could trust God more. Where you could say, God, I'm ultimately, I'm dependent upon you. And I've seen storms that have caused people to lay their faith down. And you've seen storms that have shaken people's faith. But you've also seen storms that have strengthened the ground that people have stood on, that have strengthened their faith. Have you ever watched someone go through something extremely hard and you cannot even believe they're standing up? You can't believe they're even here. You can't believe that they're still breathing, they're still alive. And it's more than that. They're still hoping and they're still trusting and they're still believing and they still have faith. And they would say, I still have faith? No, no, no. God has strengthened my faith because of what I've gone through. I believe in him so much more deeply because of how present he's been, because of the way he's comforted me, because of the way he showed up in the people in my life around me. No, God has used this storm to allow me to trust him. And that can be your story. 
That can be your story today. And it doesn't negate how hard the storm is. It doesn't simplify the challenge of the storm and the hurt of the storm. But I'm telling you, the beauty of a storm is a heart that trusts God more deeply. And so that's our hope for you today. That's our prayer for you today. In fact, I want to do that even now. We're going to play a song. We're going to have a chance to respond to this, a song that sings about storms. But before we even do that, I want to take a moment where we can just pray, pray together. So if you would, would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? And then would you, would you do me a favor just so we can know, not we can know, but so I can know who we're praying for. Would you mind just raising your hand if you would say, right now I'm in the middle of a storm? Yeah, thank you. You can put your hand down, and I just want you to, if you would, you could just open up your hands, maybe open up the hands literally, or you can open up the hands figuratively in your heart. Father, for one, I just am so, um, it's just heartbreaking every time to see how many people are in the middle of something, and it, should, it shouldn't shock us anymore because you said in this world you would have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So God, as much as we hate going through stuff, as much as we hurt for our friends and family who are going through stuff, Father, I just pray that that same strength and power and courage that you are able to instill in us when we go through things, that you would do that even now, that we would hear the sound of hammers and we would hear the sound of construction that's building up the foundations of hearts and souls and mending and repairing the hurt and the loss and that today would be a day of restoration. Today would be a day where hope is restored. And God, that feeling that those sailors and those soldiers felt where Luke wrote, yeah, that was the moment. That was the moment when we gave up hope. God, I pray that today would be the opposite, that today would be a day where we would go, that was the moment where I found hope again. That was the moment where God restored my hope. God restored my joy. And God allowed me to believe again, allowed me to hope again, and allowed me to dream again. God, we just ask you for that today. Father, I just thank you so much for the church. Thank you so much for this church and the way you move and the way you allow us to be the hands and the feet. And I just pray that today that people would experience that from each other. That maybe they would have the courage to tell somebody about what they're going through. Maybe they would have the courage to ask somebody to pray for them. And as they do, they would be shocked at how quick and able people are to be able to respond and join in and help out. And so we just pray that you would allow us to continue to do that. And Father, ultimately, I pray for every heart that is going through something right now, that you would allow him, that you would allow her to trust you more deeply. God, I hate it that we have to go through stuff that reminds us our fragility, our frailty. But God, sometimes it's in those seasons that we are reminded most that you are all we have. And that's hard. But the good news is it's also in those seasons that we're reminded that you are all we need. And so we just ask you to be that for us. You said that you are the I am. So we ask you to be the I am today. That I am good, that I am kind, that I am loving, that I am comfort. 
that I am a provider, that I am a sustainer? Would you be all of that and more today? Father, we trust you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.